Hi everyone, this is Liv Hannanen and you are listening to Beyond Consulting, the only podcast focused on career, health and wealth after management consulting. This podcast is sponsored by ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused a lot on former consultants and private equity. So I am delighted to introduce Lev Lesokin as today's guest, who has done a ton of interesting things in marketing, tech and operations since he was a McKinsey consultant. Lev, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lev. It's good to be here. Wonderful to have you. Lev, you are currently working as an independent consultant. And you spent time at a few companies since you left consulting as a CMO, a COO, and stages in between. So can you take a moment just to tell everyone what you did after you left McKinsey? And then we'll go back and talk a bit about your consulting days and that transition out of consulting. Yeah, absolutely. So when I first left McKinsey, I actually went for a product job at a research company. It was called the Corporate Executive Board, and we were starting a new product line around IT leadership. And so creating a peer group for IT leaders. And to me, this was super exciting because it was quite aligned with some of the issues that I had seen in my prior travels. And I thought that this would be a very interesting area to kind of dig into. And it was also a nice extension of kind of the intellectual environment that I was used to after business school, McKinsey and whatnot. And so it turned out actually for personal reasons, because of an ailing parent, I had to move back to New York City. One of the things that I had also been quite interested in since business school and consulting was marketing. And one of my former consulting colleagues was at SAP. And just as I was kind of making this transition, he happened to reach out to me and said, hey, Lev, what are you doing? We've got this big thing going on. Uh, It was a big initiative at SAP, actually, to redevelop the core platform for uh, small, medium enterprises, and they needed help on the go-to-market side there, right? And this actually turned out to be SAP's first foray into creating a SaaS product that I got a chance to be a part of. So it was a bit of a roundabout journey to get to marketing. It's not necessarily where I was headed exactly out of consulting, but coming out of a consulting environment, you're a little bit of a wild card. Right. And so you kind of get to experiment, which is kind of part of the idea. So that was it. And then that was kind of the transition out. Right. And I spent a number of years at SAP, did a number of interesting projects on the go to market side, kind of more product marketing type projects where the, I would say, intellectual lift was a bit higher than some of the other aspects of marketing. Then I got recruited to another company called Cast software where I initially took on product marketing, kind of corporate marketing, and again, some of the kind of more intellectually heavy parts of marketing. And then after a year and a half or so into that role, I basically became the CMO and took on all of marketing. And my roles since then have been kind of in that CMO track. I diverged from that at a small company that I was at called Science for Data, which works with uh, natural language processing technology where, you know, initially I came in to help with go to market, but then we were so small at the time. We needed sales, we needed strategy, we needed a bit of everything. And so I kind of took on a COO role. I started selling, I was doing all sorts of things. And most recently I took on a CMO role at a company called Pravana and Pravana is in a different space entirely than where I was before, kind of selling technology and services to fintechs, lenders, so kind of in the consumer lending space and credit servicing. 
And I recently left Pravana. It wasn't the best match for me, frankly, in terms of the kinds of things that I'm interested in doing and culturally and all sorts of stuff. And so I um, decided to strike out on my own. I immediately, as people found out that I was leaving, I had a couple of folks kind of approach me and ask if I might be able to spend a few cycles to help out. So that's what I'm working on now. And we'll see. I may stick with that. I may go back to something more full-time or whatever, but for now it's working pretty well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Lots to dig into there a little bit later. But just to, I guess, keep going back, what was it that led you to consulting in the first place? Well, actually, the question maybe should be what led me out of consulting. I um, Coming out of college, I graduated with an electrical engineering under, undergrad degree. And actually, my first job out of college was in sort of a consulting company. It was a company called the MITRE Corporation. Most folks outside of the Washington, D.C. kind of federal tech ecosystem may not have heard of it, but it's sort of a think tank slash consulting organization that helps the federal government consume and procure technology. And so it's a federally funded research development center, kind of a think tank, right? I was a systems engineer there, member of technical staff, and did a number of really interesting kind of a few steps forward technical projects for various parts of the federal government. So that was sort of consulting, right? And after that, I worked for a small systems integrator also in the Washington, D.C. area. And there I was doing implementation of technology for a lot of telco companies, a couple of other hospitality and whatnot, but it was all kind of local in the D.C. area, a lot of telco there. So that was also consulting. Then I went to business school. And then after business school, I thought, well, business school actually is for somebody coming out of a tech IT track. It's a big eye opener because you kind of get to see all sorts of things that you didn't really get to experience before kind of levels you up a few notches. And so I thought I should continue that and decided to take a role at McKinsey. And so I spent a few years at McKinsey after business school, and then that catches us up to, I guess, where we left off with what happened after McKinsey. That was basically it. Absolutely. And at McKinsey, the thread connecting a lot of your career, I feel like, is tech, very broadly speaking. When you were at McKinsey, were you focused on tech? projects or were you more doing it a generalist thing? That's a very good point. Indeed, I was. So I was part of McKinsey's, at that time, it was called the Business Technology Office. I think they may have since renamed it, but it was a relatively new endeavor at the time at McKinsey. I think it had started only maybe two or three years before I joined. And so it was kind of an office without a geographical location, sort of an experiment. And the firm's always experimenting with different things, different models of working, solutions, et cetera. So it was kind of a virtual office. Now, we had an office in Stamford, Connecticut, which then later moved to New York City. There was another in Silicon Valley, et cetera. So it had a few kind of centers, I would say. But the focus there was on either tech strategy, so like tech go to market, for tech firms. And back in 2000, that was a really interesting time for that practice. But then also tech governance, implementation, sort of more on the IT side of how various companies consume technology to become better at their business. So yes, so that thread continued very much through McKinsey. Got it, fantastic. And I would love just to learn a little bit more about your transition out of consulting. So from McKinsey to, to SAP. 
I know you mentioned there were some personal circumstances involved, but beyond that, how did you know that SAP was the one, essentially? Because I talked to tons of management consultants who sort of know that they want to leave consulting, but consulting gives you such a broad toolkit, it can be hard to know exactly when to make that jump. No, that's a really good point. One of the things that made SAP attractive to me was that, of course, it's a tech company, right? So that's one thing. So working within the belly of the beast, so to speak, in the tech world. The other is that, and this is something that you hear, and I'm sure you've heard this with every, maybe not every, but almost every consultant that you speak to, there's kind of an agency issue. You're an agent, you work on problems that don't belong to you. So at some point you kind of leave them and then you go somewhere else. And it's hard to, on the one hand, not to what consultants call go native and kind of feel like you're part of the client. But then even when you try to go native instinctively, a client pushes you back and it's like, well, no, you don't work here. And so it's like this weird tension. And I think a lot of consultants kind of want to, at least at some point, to kind of own the problem, to be part of the principal organization rather the agent than the agent organization. So like I remember the first six months or so of being at SAP, just having a smile on my face every time that I read news articles that related to SAP and SAP was mentioned. And I was like, hey, this is my company. This is who I'm working with. So it was kind of good to be finally a part of something, right? So I think those are some of the aspects that made it the one. But the other thing that really was interesting about SAP was that they were really trying to do something new at the time. So I wasn't coming in to kind of continue operating something that was already operating. They were really trying to turn a corner. I mean, this was a big strategic initiative where there were two members of the SAP board. And the way European companies are run is that, you know, you have the board, which is kind of the head set of executives, right? It's not like the board of directors or whatever, the investors, it's like literally the executive board. And two of the, I think, eight members of the board were on this project. And we were like briefing with these guys on a regular basis, like every quarter or whatever. They were pretty involved. And this was a really strategic project for SAP. So that was another point that made this feel like, yes, this is the right place to go. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you so much. How do you feel like the skills you picked up at McKinsey and in your previous consulting role for success? in your roles at SAP and beyond. I think I'm particularly curious about how they set you up for success in the marketing positions that you went on to hold out. I know it's not uncommon to see consultants go into marketing, but it's probably more common to see consultants go into corporate strategy or something where there is kind of more of a direct parallel. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts there. There's a lot to say about that, actually. So please stop me if I ramble for too long. So you asked the skills question. There's also the question, which I will get to if you want to, which is why marketing and not corporate strategy or something a little bit more aligned to consulting. But if we look at marketing specifically and the skills that you kind of gain in consulting, it's really interesting. It's one of these things almost like when you go to an event, an industry event, sometimes you feel like, what am I going to learn or what's there? What's useful? But then after you leave that event, let's say you spend three days or a week there, then you realize a few weeks later, oh, actually, yes, I did learn this. I did learn that. It's sort of these 
kind of intangible things that you learn. And so with consulting, of course, especially like McKinsey and management consulting, it's more intentionally educational and formative. There's kind of like a basic toolkit or list of things that I can rattle off that I really learned that have been incredibly useful in marketing and I'm sure would be useful in, well, and have been useful in other things that I've done. Like take even the simple two by two matrix concept. I mean, you might laugh. It's like, oh, the old BCG two by two, the dog and the, the cow and whatever. And But forcing yourself to put something on a two by two is actually a really interesting thought exercise. What do you put as the axis? What's on the X axis? What's on the Y axis? Like just kind of figuring out what that juxtaposition should be already makes you separate things, right? To kind of pull things apart. And just going through that thought process, and you can take any trade-off and try to map it to a two-by-two of its own, just to kind of pull apart what are the pieces of it. And that's a super useful tool that you can use in running campaigns or defining your messaging or figuring out your um, website, how you communicate your value prop, right? Or whatever, so that you're not like repeating the same things over and over. The whole concept of Nisi, I probably don't need to define that for your audience, but just kind of thinking through like, is this Misi? Is this not? Just having that framework, super useful. And the thing about frameworks is that when you first see them, you're like, yeah, that's really obvious. But it's just like with math, like the basic math is simple. Why is it that you'd have to do a lot of exercises and problems? Because once you apply those basic frameworks you learn in math, that's when you realize that, oh, you kind of understand them, but you don't really understand them until you apply them to a lot of problems. So in consulting, that kind of gives you a chance to learn these frameworks, not just to see them, but to actually apply them. And it's in the application of these frameworks that you really understand what they do and the value that they have. There are a number of other things, you know, the rule of three. I'm sure you've heard a lot about that, the triad or trifecta or troika or whatever you call it. Like, it's just a natural way of breaking things down for the human brain. There's nothing special about the number three, except for the way we think as humans. And so you can kind of take anything and break it down into three categories. And also that's something that's, again, useful in messaging in strategy and communication, which is all germane to marketing. Of course, being a quick study and consulting you, again, you have to kind of get comfortable with ambiguity, comfortable with just knowing enough, just a little bit, being surrounded by SMEs who know a lot more than you, but you know how to take like the little key tidbits that you get and put them into a cohesive framework to really think strategically. In fact, sometimes having too much knowledge burdens you and blinds you. Right. And so this is the benefit of having consultants who perhaps are not encumbered by too much knowledge. And it's, again, the same thing with marketing. There's a lot that product people like product managers and engineers that they know about the product. And it just gets in the way of cutting down to like, what is the essence that I need to communicate to somebody who has never seen our product, doesn't even know that they need it right? Doesn't know anything about this category. Like, how do I communicate all this stuff in a way that kind of brings them along and gets the key points that that target stakeholder really needs to see in order to take the next bite and then the next bite and then the next bite. 
which leads you to storytelling. I mean, that's, of course, one of the things that you do in consulting. You're creating decks. You're, you know, like when you write a deck, one of the first things that you learn in McKinsey is, uh, well, first write out what are the headlines to your pages. Don't even put anything on the page. Just write the titles of your pages, right? So do the storyboard first. And that kind of storytelling thinking from the pyramid principle, like what's my point? How do I back up my point? That tree structure underneath. Again, super important for marketing is all about storytelling, right? So there are a lot of parallels there and a lot of tools. I mean, there's a few Excel analysis, for instance, like analyzing data in Excel. That's another thing that a lot of consultants have to do, and some are better than others. And marketing has, over the years, has become a lot more analytical than it used to be. Super important skill. So there are a lot of these parallels and a lot of the tools that you learn in consulting that are super relevant to marketing. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Well, I guess I want to follow up with the question I set up last time around, which is, yeah, tell me what you found so exciting about marketing and why you did end up going there instead of corporate strategy or something like that. Hmm. One of the things that has defined a bit my decisions since consulting has been to try to do things that are different, that are new, that I haven't done before. So in some ways, and I hate to admit it, but I was trying to get away from consulting. Like I didn't want to be a consultant within the company that I'm going to. I wanted to be an operator. I wanted to have a domain that I was in charge of, that I was advancing as opposed to kind of staying within with other, well, actually there were a lot of other consultants, former consultants at SAP's marketing organization, which I didn't realize would be the case, but it turned out to be the case. But still, I didn't want to stay in the sort of circumscribed area that is typical consulting. So that was one of the things that defined why I wanted to go to marketing. The other though is uh, even in business school. So like I mentioned before, when you go to business school, it's a bit of a shock to the system, depending where you come from, of course. I came out of basically the IT world. And when you're in IT, you're kind of deep in the trenches. You're implementing technology within whatever company you're supporting. And then when you go to business school, you come across all these people that are either bankers or consultants or work in various functions across the enterprise. And so you see, like, you go out and you drink with people, you see, like, what they tell you, what they used to do and what they're interested in, what they do. And then, of course, the courses you take just opens up all these possibilities. And so even in business school, marketing was something that seemed, I still remember taking a tech strategy class at Sloan that was fascinating. And that's when I learned about sort of externalities, network externalities, and what does that mean? And how do you kind of build uh, sort of a moat around your company? by creating sort of platforms. And, you know, that was the initial first inkling or introduction that I had to these concepts. And so I realized that marketing is actually not, as I thought before, just advertising, because that's like the aspect of marketing that everybody sees. But I realized that it's actually a really strategic endeavor with a lot of creativity, room for creativity that's in it, and a lot of exposure to customers and the market by definition. So it's something that fascinated me even since business school. Awesome, and I I have a quick question just based on something you said in a previous answer. You said marketing has become a lot more analytical than it used to be. Is that just because of the sheer amount of data that we now have to sift through, or is there something else going on there? I'm just curious. 
Well, yeah, there is the kind of the big data question. And in fact, with the advent of AI and generative AI and ChatGPT and those types of technologies, I think we're going to see even more of an analytical approach. But for now, what's been driving the analytical trend in marketing is the tools that we are using, especially in digital marketing. So these days, a marketer needs to understand the MarTech stack. And there are a lot of tools that you have to become facile with in order to really be effective in especially digital marketing. Because digital marketing, it's all about content and content syndication, content placement, and taking content that would be valuable to your consumer or your prospect, right? And promoting that content so that you can promote the thought leadership of the firm that you're marketing. I mean, that's kind of the basis of most, at least tech marketing, which is what I'm familiar with. Of course, I'm not talking, well, even in consumer marketing, that's also become more the case. There are a lot of parallels between B2B and B2C and tech marketing and other type of marketing. But what you do with all that content these days, right, is that you syndicate it, you kind of atomize it, you pull it into little pieces and you kind of try to spread it through different channels. Obviously social media, but then there's other channels depending on what ecosystem you're playing in, other media properties, influencers, uh, partners. And what the MarTech stack enables you to do is to automate a lot of that kind of content distribution and to measure it, right? And so to see what's happening at what we marketers call top of funnel. So like the folks that are don't even know that you exist, don't even know that they have a problem that you can solve, right? And kind of measure your impact with different messaging in the top of the funnel. And then try to track, of course, all the folks that you've touched at the top of the funnel and watch them go through the funnel eventually into your hopefully sales pipeline and then eventually to close and walking back that cat, so to speak, to see like what was most effective all the way through that life cycle to see like, yeah, maybe I generated huge numbers top of funnel, but with this campaign, it didn't amount to anything in terms of close rate or we maybe closed those customers, but those customers didn't stay with us longer than whatever they churned. So kind of seeing that full life cycle is a hugely analytical endeavor. And I'd say that most marketers are still not really there yet in terms of being able to do that full life cycle. It's hard to get the full stack of tools and data set up to do all that. But it's become much more analytical from that standpoint just because of the way marketing is done and the tools that we have at our disposal and the demands of the business. So the CEO who typically I would be reporting to is going to be asking like, well, what have you done for me lately? How much business has marketing generated? You need to be more and more numbers driven and being able to answer that question. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for the insight there. Do you want to quickly pick your brain on something else? So as you mentioned, you were COO at a science for data company pretty involved in AI and NLP. So I'd be very curious to know, how do you think AI, ChatGPT, you know, all of the buzz that's around that right now, how do you see that impacting management consulting as a profession? Any thoughts there? I have to say, I have not given that a ton of thought before you asked the question. Actually, it's not an obvious question, but now that you ask it, perhaps it is an obvious question because it's going to affect every profession that requires thinking. Yes. So management consulting is certainly not immune to that. The way I see that is, 
I think that the world is starting to realize at least the current iteration of GPT and you know these generative transformers, whether it's ChatGPT or other transformers, is that it's starting to fall into its niche. It's not the end-all, be-all. It is not you know, the God machine that can do everything. It's impressive what it can do. The way I see it is the next iteration of the search engine, right? I mean, the search engine went and indexed all the world's information and put it into an indexable cat catalog so that you can search, right? Basically, with some AI overtones that help recognize what it is that you might be searching for and kind of help you with your search. Now, this is indexing all of the information out there and using that to generate new information, to generate synthesized tidbits that really help you kind of get to the essence of certain questions, right? So it's the next iteration of search. And the way I think that this is going to affect consulting, and actually, just as an aside, there's this up-and-coming profession of what's called prompt engineering, where, well, even with Google search, a lot of, like my wife's a much better searcher than I am. I just often am not typing the right things into the search, right? Because whatever, I just think a different way. So the prompt that you put into ChatGPT determines what it's going to return as an answer, right? And so there are a number of people that are getting really good at figuring out what are the prompts to get the most out of ChatGPT or other such tools. And so I think that consultants are going to get really good at using ChatGPT and other technologies that so most enterprises are working on their own, let's call it internal ChatGPT technologies, which trawl through their internal data versus ChatGPT, which kind of goes through the public internet. Public internet only represents something like 1% of overall data that's available for analysis. So it's a lot, but it's there's a lot more there. So I think what the consultants are going to get really good at is this kind of prompt engineering and using the GPT tools to derive insights about either what's going on in the world at large or what's going on within the client company in order to improve the analysis and improve the story that they're able to tell with that analysis. One of the challenges for consultants always is to get their hands internally on the right data. You get paired up with your client team, you go on site and you're like, oh, do we have any sales data that looks like this? Or do we have any whatever manufacturing data that tells us the number of widgets or whatever the cost of widgets over this period of time. And a lot of times that data is really piecemeal and hard to get at. That's part of the challenge of consulting is working with an incomplete data set to draw some sort of conclusions. So I think that the generative AI tools, especially deployed within the client company, are going to give consultants much better data to work with. So McKinsey pioneered this concept of McKinsey Solutions. And I think a lot of other consulting firms started to do something like that, where McKinsey's got like a development team in India, I believe in Bangalore, that builds solutions. And they run it like a VC internal to the firm. So they develop a solution based on experience with certain clients, and then they try to sell it to other clients. And if it doesn't work after six months, 12 months, they have various milestones, stage gates. If it doesn't take hold, they disband it and then they go on to something else. And so, I don't know, I'm not in touch with folks, actually, I should be, but I'm not in touch with folks at McKinsey (laughs) these days, or at least it's been a while since I've talked to anybody over there. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if they're not working on a McKinsey solution around GPT technology to enable exactly this kind of use case where, oh, you don't have a generative AI system internally, we can implement one for you and we can run it. And then we can use it in order to generate more insights. And the goal with these solutions is to have something that's kind of like SaaS subscription, that's a leave behind, that kind of cements that relationship with the client. So I think just to kind of pull it back, I think that it will have an impact on consulting. It's not replacing consulting anytime soon, for sure, but it's another tool in the tool set. Yeah, fantastic. I would also be really interested to learn what the top consulting firms are doing right now to kind of ride the wave, so to speak. I think we've got time for a couple more questions. And the first one I, I just want to get your thoughts on quickly is, you mentioned that when you left McKinsey, you wanted to kind of distance yourself from being a consultant. But right now you are working as a independent consultant. So I'm just curious, how does that feel compared to being a McKinsey consultant earlier in your career? What parallels are there and how is it different? So in my particular case, it's quite different. And that may not be the case for everybody who's in independent consulting. Actually, there are a few firms out there that provide a platform for former consultants to do the type of consulting that BCG, Bain, McKinsey, Booz, whoever, you know, does to do that independently for big clients that they typically work for. There's a number of firms that do that, like uh, Umbrex, Business Technology Group, and a couple of others, right? And I've actually looked into these firms and I see what kind of projects they do and whatnot. In my particular case, the folks that approached me are all small shops. Like my clients right now are a, what's a less than $10 million software firm that doesn't have a CMO. So I'm basically a fractional part-time CMO for them. And because I've worked with a number of small companies or smaller companies, I'm kind of a hands-on guy. So I can do whatever, right? I can create content myself. I can write. I can run their social presence. So I'm pretty hands-on with these guys. Like I'm categorizing their and tagging their blogs right now. You know, just kind of figuring out like how to sort through all the blogs that we've put together, right? So stuff like that. So that's uh, one of my clients. The other one of my clients is actually the um, MIT Free Speech Alliance, which is not even, you know, it's a nonprofit. It's something that I just kind of got involved in through my alumni network and various interests. Big issue, free speech on campus these days. So that's uh, also really small organization. So it feels very different than the kind of consulting that I was doing at McKinsey. I very much see that, but these projects sound very interesting. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, really fun, <laughs> really fun, really meaty as well. Definitely in the case of that last one you mentioned, free speech on campus, lots of opinions on both sides, I imagine, to wade through there. It can be, it's funny, free speech has become a little bit more of a conservative flashpoint, I guess. I'm kind of like a middle of the road politics guy, whatever. I don't really take that, but like I've kind of realized working at this for the last few months that like, oh, wow, yeah, this is more, I'm going to brand myself as a conservative now. So I got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, and as a marketer, you're probably very aware of that branding. Fantastic. All right, love. Final question, you know, for our listeners who are current management consultants and thinking of leaving, any words of advice? And we always like to ask if you have happened to have read a book that you found useful or 
thought-provoking that you think might help with that transition, please feel free to drop it, but no pressure if not. This is like a really weird answer, but I'll say it anyway. There's a scene in War and Peace by Tolstoy that's amazing. It's like somewhere in the middle of the action during the war. It describes this general who is very effective. I forget, one of the main characters is spending time with this general and all these lieutenants are coming to him with like, hey, this and this happened and here's what I did. And the general is like, great, next one. This and this happened, this is what I did. Very good, perfect. And all he does is enable his troops to do, his lieutenants to do what they think is right. And he commends them for it. And he winds up being effective. And apparently this was all written with a lot of historical research and context. Actually, I read, I happened to read that book around that transition time and that made an impact on me, but it's, it's a strange answer. I don't know if I would recommend reading War and Peace just to <laughs> literally just to uh, make that transition. So I'll have to think of another book suggestion. But the advice that I would give for folks that are thinking about leaving is think about what it is. So just to take a step back, when you're leaving consulting, you have a lot of options where you can go. You've kind of been enabled with this toolkit that we talked about. You're unafraid to try new things, go into different industries, right? And learn new things, pick things up quickly and dive in, right? And I think that that optionality and that kind of fearlessness will stay with you. So far it has for me. But the flip side of that is that at some point when you get on in your career and you get older, and I've been out of consulting now for a few years. So what winds up happening is people start to sort into categories and people start to allow themselves to get labeled or to become labeled as, you know, I'm an expert in this or I'm an expert in that, whatnot. And that's something that as you're leaving consulting is good to keep in mind that eventually the end game, probably you're not going to be fully optional to do anything you want. When people look for help, whether in a consulting capacity or in a full-time employment capacity or whatever, they're going to want to see some sort of track record or some sort of path that shows consistency in whatever it is that is the profession or the area that they're looking for help in. So I think that's what I would say for folks that are kind of charting what they want to do post-consulting, that they should really think about what is it that that common thread is going to be for you in 20 years? You know, what is it that you're going to be an expert in in 20 years? What is going to be your kind of calling card, your expertise? Because you probably need that at some point, even if you don't need it right now. Fantastic. I think that's excellent advice, Lev. And I couldn't be happier with your book suggestion. I think every time we've spoken, Russian literature has come up, and I wouldn't have had it any other way in this conversation. Lev, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, Lev. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you.